Good morning. Man, so good to be together here uh, for this uh, series. Man, I, I feel like sometimes I just have to pinch myself, like, get to do this for like a living here. Get to <laughs> dig deep into God's Word together and to do it with, with you guys. I uh, love this church family, and man, what a privilege to be here and, and be a part of what God's doing here at our Church, I am just really thankful for it and really, really, really excited about this series that we're working on. We just launched here, Gospel uh, Culture on the One Another's of the New Testament. And so there's a little slide here, if you haven't been with us so far, just with a list of all those One Another's on it that just give you a little bit of the feel uh, for how many times this expression comes up in the New Testament, I think it's 57 or sometimes, different ways in which we live out our life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we just want to talk about that culture, how it's emerging so far. Um, we have been able to talk about what it means to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Um, Sebastian last week talked about what it means to forgive, we're to be forgiving one another, just as in God in Christ forgave us. And so, I mean, so far I have been deeply encouraged. I know it was just great even last week with our community group talking through what it means, the waiting thing that it is to forgive uh, each other and to walk through that process of forgiveness. I hope it's been similarly encouraging to you, a series that is very accessible, very practical, something you can walk away with, something that you will be using in the life of your church. So if you're new particularly, um, hopefully this is an opportunity not just to uh, be inspired by some beautiful ideals and some beautiful ideas, but an opportunity to try them out. If you're here and you're new, uh, yeah, don't just uh, listen in, but, but give them a try. Uh, participate in that welcome, participate in that forgiveness. And this morning we have a particularly exciting uh, command today. Therefore, uh, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And I know that's just what everybody wanted to hear this morning, a sermon on confession, right? Because, you know, that's what we all love to do, right? We always warm one another's, welcome one another, love one another, honor one another, you know, accept one another. And then you got like the hard ones, right? Where confess your sins to one another. And I want to pull in C.S. Lewis to paint us a vivid picture of what that looks like. Apparently, Sebastian is on to me here. He's found out where I'm, on, where I'm stealing all of my content from here. And so, you know, I've been exposed, you know, all of my C.S. Lewis. Uh, everything I've got is from my uh, deep love for C.S. Lewis. But I do want to give you this quote because I feel like it just makes vivid the calling what it looks like to confess her since he talks about repentance here, which is a close cousin of confession. Uh, Lewis said this, Now, what was the sort of hole that man had got himself into? He had tried to set up on his own, to behave as if he belonged to himself. In other words, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms, surrendering, saying you're sorry, realizing that you've been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground hole, that is the only way out of our hole. This process of surrender, this movement full astern, is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we've been training ourselves in for thousands of years. It means killing 
a part of yourself undergoing a kind of death. So why would anyone sign up to do that, (laughs) to undergo this kind of death in your life? I want to give you a short answer up front and then spend the whole sermon just unpacking why this is of such value to our community, right? For Christians, this death is the prelude to new life. Acknowledging our sickness leads to the cure. Recognizing our rebellion leads us to lay down our arms and pledge allegiance to a new king and a new kingdom. Confession keeps us humble, honest, and dependent on our Father in heaven, on the work of Christ, and on the power of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, Unfortunately, Religious cultures in general and churches in particular often become places to perform or pretend because there is this external standard we've all agreed to, right? The Bible, we all acknowledge, right? This is our rule of life, right? We sit under the Bible, right? The Bible doesn't sit under us. And so we have a standard and some of us are tempted to outperform our fellow Christians and judge each other, maybe even beat each other over the head with the Bible, God forbid. But that does happen, right? We, we, we read this Bible, we do what it says, and then we look down on others so we don't feel like are quite keeping up the pace that we are. And on the other side, there's those of us who don't feel like we measure up uh, and we'll be tempted to, rather than perform, to pretend, uh, to save face, to act like we, we've got it all together. Confession keeps us both humble and also honest, both of which we really need if we're not to descend to what churches often do, which has become places where we all show up on Sunday morning looking wonderfully spruced up, wonderful smiling faces, and act like everything's fine. And uh, in, in reality, we're, we're struggling, right? We're, we're deep down really struggling in our lives. Uh, part of being a Christian is acknowledging our sinfulness. In fact, you can't even be a Christian without confessing your sins. Uh, but what about people that aren't Christians? Uh, surely confession would be the very last thing someone who is not a follower of Christ would consider. Well, Calvin, a uh, philosophy professor, Professor James K.A. Smith begs to differ. Uh, he says this, and I thought this was worth quoting again at length. Apologies for the long quotes here. This regular, stark, uncomfortable confession of sin doesn't seem like something that would be enjoyed by seekers. It raises difficult questions. It brings us face to face with disquieting truths about ourselves. It feels the very opposite of being sensitive to those who are seeking. But what if the opportunity to confess is precisely what we long for? What if an invitation to confess our sins is actually the answer to our seeking? What if we want to confess our sins and didn't even realize it until, the op- until given the opportunity? In other words, I-, I love this question, what if confession is unwittingly the desire of every broken heart? In that case, extending an invitation to confession would be the most sensitive thing We could do a gift for seeking souls. What the professor is saying is that if Christianity is true, everyone struggles with sin, and our modern culture is actually really at a disadvantage for leaving that language behind, right? We use words like brokenness or weakness or human frailty. You know, everybody's human, right? That's the kind of language you use. But it doesn't quite do justice to the deceitfulness and wickedness of our own hearts, 
what I want us to see this morning is that confession is really just honesty, and that's something we desperately need today. It's one thing to struggle with sin and be honest about it. It's another thing entirely to be oblivious to it or living in denial of it or living in outright rebellion, right? Confession of sin is what one writer called a healthy orientation to reality. <laughs> healthy. So this is just kind of a reality check this morning, hopefully, as a religious community, right, tempted to pretend and perform. Can we be honest? Can we be genuine? Can we be real? That is a greater challenge than you might think, uh, particularly in a culture like West Michigan, where we're so good at faking it till we make it. That's the kind of world we live in. And so my big idea for this morning is simply this. Confessing our sins to one another is simply being honest with God, ourselves, and one another. And uh, you might say, well, that's great. It's harder than it looks. That's why we're going to dig a little bit deeper into each of these truths. So this morning, I want to look at the context for confession in James chapter 5. I want to look at the challenge of confession, right? Not an easy thing to step into. And I, finally, I want to look at the cure for uh, confession. My aim for this morning's sermon is that we would increasingly be an honest church. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if people walked in the door? Like, man, these people are actually pretty honest about their struggles, their weaknesses, their failures. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? So let's pray as we dive in that God would begin doing that among us, and uh, we'll dive right into our text. Father, I feel uh, this struggle to be honest, honestly, every day, uh, right? To be honest about my sins and failures, my fears and anxieties. I, I don't want to go there. I know I struggle with that. I know I would love to just impress all of these fine people gathered here about how wonderful and godly and holy I am as a human being, and yet the reality is, right, that I struggle. There are weaknesses in my life, and, uh, and I know I'm not alone in that. God, so you help us realize just how safe we are in Jesus, to remember that he's dealt with all of our sins past present, and future on the cross. Would you give us great freedom to come out of hiding and deal with our sins, deal with our struggles, deal with our issues, all the things that are sabotaging our lives, God. And would you get the glory as people are set free and experience the beautiful freedom uh, that you offer. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, so let's start with the, the context here. One of the real treats of spending hours studying the Bible is that you have some of these like epiphanies sometimes. You're like, whoa, like I just like caught something that I had never studied, never understood before. And so as I was reading James 5.16, um, which is, you know, one little verse on confession in the midst of a larger section of scripture on prayer, I was kind of like, hmm, what's going on here? In James 5.16, if you're following along, there's a therefore. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That would be helpful to have Scripture in front of you so you can look at the context here. It's a pastor. I may mean, just love that sound of flipping pages. People like trying to find the text, trying to find that therefore. Uh, because every first-year Bible teacher will ask you, uh, if there's a therefore, you want to know what is the therefore. Um, what's, the, what's the point here of putting therefore in this text? So you have to go back to verses 13 and 15 to find out what the therefore is there for. And so if you're reading along there in verse 13, 15, as I did in my study this week, as I'm 
digging in, I'm like, okay, well, what, what's this confession flowing out of? Where is it coming from? What's the rationale? What's the logic? Let me try to follow James's train of thought here. So, so let's read verses 13 through 15. Is anyone of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone of you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up And if he's committed any sins, he'll be forgiven. That's the the context of the command then in James 5, 16. And I want you to notice three things here in the context that help set this up for us. Um, First of all, right, this this is a passage about prayer, right? We see in verse 15, or right in verse 13, right? If I'm in sick, pray, right? Also in verse 14, Right? We see if someone's seriously sick, they should call the elders and have them pray. And then in verse 15, James says this. I thought this was so interesting, right? The prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. And if, he's, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So three things. This is a prayer of faith, first of all. So this is a prayer for someone who is a Christian, someone who trusts in Jesus. Like That's important when we're talking about uh, receiving this healing, receiving this forgiveness. It's a prayer of faith from someone who's a Christian. Um, second, this prayer of faith is powerful to heal. So healing doesn't happen every time, but healing can happen every time because God's power is unlimited to heal. And so we're not going to get into healing. If you have questions about healing, prayer, all that stuff, that's a whole other sermon. We'll get there. Uh, but finally, this prayer of faith also includes forgiveness, which I think is very important for our text today. Why is physical healing connected to forgiveness. What's going on here? What's, what's the logic? What's James trying to say? The answer, I'm convinced, comes from the ministry of Jesus himself. In the Gospels, we see this continually. Jesus heals and forgives people. That, that's very much a part of his ministry. Probably the most famous example is the healing of the paralytic man in Mark 2. If you have been around the church, you remember the story, right? That this guy they, they has a paralytic, and they, his buddies bring him, and they can't find a way into the room, so they, they take all the like, ceiling tiles off, lower the guy through the roof, because he's paralytic, he can't walk there himself, drop him in front of Jesus, and Jesus, instead of healing him, says, oh, I sell your faith, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are like, who has the authority to forgive sins? Like, only God can do that. And he's like, well, what's harder, for me to forgive sins or heal this man? And they're just like, whoa. And Jesus is like, just to show you that I have authority to do both, I'm going to heal this, I'm going to forgive him, and I'm going to heal him. And the man walks out the door, both healed and forgiven, because that's what Jesus does, right? His physical healings are all part of the comprehensive healing that he's doing, putting everything broken in this fallen world back together, starting with our lives. And so James, who is a very early, his book, very early, he's following Jesus' ministry, writing one of the first letters of the New Testament. He's talking about this same kind of comprehensive healing, right? Jesus is there not just to heal you physically, but to forgive your sins, to bring you deeper, more comprehensive healing in your life. And why is all that significant? Mike, why did you just spend five minutes digging deep, nerding out about context and the background and Jesus' ministry. Here's why. Because all of this sets up the therefore of verse 16. Because of the comprehensive healing and salvation we have in Jesus, as Christians, we should confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. Now, notice the order. James doesn't say, if you confess your sins, you will be forgiven. Like John does in 1 John 1.9, for instance, 
Rather, he says, because you have been healed and forgiven, confess your sins to one another. In other words, for James, confession flows out of the gospel, the forgiveness and healing we have in Jesus, right? Because of that assurance, that assurance we just sung about, we can be honest about our sins and our struggles, our weaknesses and our failures, right? The gospel frees us to not have to hide, to not like to pretend, to not fake it till we make it, to actually be genuine and honest, right? We don't have to prove our worth. We don't have to earn our salvation. We're welcomed in because of what Jesus has done. And that kind of assurance James is saying it's supposed to move us to be able to be honest with ourselves. We don't have to hide. We don't have to live in that insecurity that we always feel. Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be welcomed? Are people going to condemn me? Are people going to reject me? Are people going to, you know, totally, you know, shame me if I am honest about what's going on in my life? James is saying as Christians, we should be the most honest people in the world because God has already promised forgiveness to us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. We've already been welcomed into his family. We already have brothers and sisters who, hey, is brought into our lives to walk alongside of us in grace and mercy. The gospel gives us the safety to be real, to be authentic, to be vulnerable. And that is so crucial that we get that order right because in church so often, right, we're just like, oh my gosh, have I, conf- have I confessed enough? You know, have I done enough? Have I, have I earned my way into this community and this place? And James is like, you've been forgiven. You can be honest, right? This is a safe place for you to be able to be honest about your sins. One of the things we love to talk about, just gospel, safety, and time in the life of a church. Over and over again, people need to recognize this is a place where we extend the redemption we have in Jesus. We don't get to pick and choose who gets to be a part of this church, right? We extend the welcome of Jesus to anyone who's willing to walk in and follow the way of Jesus, to confess their sins, enter into the life that he offers. Uh, But the logic is there. There's forgiveness on offer. We can be honest about our sins. And notice, particularly here in James, this confession is not addressed to God. Who's it addressed to? Anybody? One another, right? It's addressed to each other. We're we're so safe in the gospel that we could even actually be honest with each other. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty big. Some have concluded, I mean, just looking at the context, this is actually the only time, interestingly, in the New Testament, we're told to confess our sins to one another. Lots of Lots of examples of confessing our sins to God. Uh, But some people said, oh, it's only for physical healing. But I think we can see a broader principle in this text that the freedom to confess our sins is one of the fruit of the gospel and something for all Christians. That's why James addresses it to one another. This is something for all of us to be engaged in, to participate in, and to be able to enjoy the ability to be honest with each other. It's a massive, massive gift of the gospel. We struggle daily with sin and we need to be honest with each other about that. We need to be honest about the battles that we face. We need to invite other people in to walk with us through that. It's a way to extend the welcome of Christ to those who sin and need a savior. We're as a church to hear each other's confessions, remind each other the forgiveness that we have in Jesus and pray for each other's healing and growth and maturity in the faith. I love how Tim Keller unpacks this in his Gospel and Life course. Uh, He says this, We must allow ourselves to be accountable to others as we should, even in the more personal aspects. 
In particular, we must be willing to admit that where we have besetting sins and look, <clears throat> and look to Christian community to help us overcome them, we must voluntarily develop a circle of Christian friends to whom we are regularly accountable for areas of behavior that are especially difficult or in which self-deception is easy. For example, life balance, right? Work, health, rest, anybody struggle with that? Sexuality, anybody struggle with that? Money and so on? Man, those are, those are hard areas of our lives to navigate. We must work out in community what a gospel-shaped life should be and then allow ourselves to be held accountable to live in this way. We're to let our Christian friends into our lives deeply enough to see our weaknesses and hold us accountable to grow into Christ's likeness. And so it's not just simply that we go, oh, we forgive you, do whatever you want, right? We're joining each other to help encourage each other, to exhort each other, uh, rebuke each other as needed so that we can grow more and more into the image of of Christ. That's a beautiful vision for Christian community. And so what are the areas of behavior that are especially difficult for you? Maybe what are those things maybe the Holy Spirit is laying a, a finger on this morning, right? Where are you prone to self-deception? Uh, do you have people in your life that you can be honest with at that gut level. I know for guys, this is particularly a struggle. Uh, Ray Ortland said this, I was listening to his podcast this week, and he said, we men are brilliant at self-concealment, withdrawal, aloofness, and smiling on the outside and dying on the inside simultaneously. I don't know if you can relate to that, but, but I know the gals, man, I talked to my wife, and she's like, they're just talking about what's going on, and there's a level of honesty that is, is kind of shocking whenever I get a window into it. And I'm like, for, for guys here, man, this is a struggle, right? We, we struggle to be honest in our lives, but we need this kind of safe, trustworthy, redemptive community. On the one hand, it's an incredible privilege and honor to be trusted with people's sins and struggles. I know as a pastor, man, when people are willing to be honest with me about what's going on in their lives, I'm just like, man, wow, I'm so like honored that you would trust me in like laying bare some of the struggles and the sins and some of the things that, that you wouldn't want people to know about you. That's an incredible privilege. And on the other hand, it's an incredible privilege to have people you trust and confess to actually walk with you through that. And I know I have needed that uh, repeatedly. That's why I'm so thankful that there's a group of elders that can walk alongside of me and people that I trust and respect that can encourage me and help me walk through the weaknesses and struggles that I have in my life, man. And so we, we all need help with the struggles that, that we can't see, the blind spots in our lives, the areas where, you know, we just, you know, because of our personality or disposition or just the, the circumstances of our lives are really having a difficult time. You're not going to get far in the Christian life by yourself. So we have this Beautiful invitation, right, to confess our sins because of the forgiveness and healing we have in Jesus. So, so just briefly, what, what keeps us from confessing our sins to each other? What are some of the barriers, what are some of the roadblocks to actually experiencing this freedom of confession? Uh, let me give you, I think there are two broad categories here as we're thinking about challenges. On the one hand, I would suggest that pride and insecurity Right, are, are major barriers, right? We, we think we've got it all together. We don't need any help. Um, and so we miss out on the beautiful benefits of the body of Christ. On the other hand, there's shame and inadequacy. We just like, 
man, I don't want to go through this again. I've already failed at this. I've struggled with this. I can't bring this again. And so both of these ways are major temptations for us. What I would suggest is that pride short-circuits the confession process by blinding us to our own sins, magnifying the sins of others, and denying our own neediness. It's often fed by deep insecurity, right? The more prideful you are often, below the surface, there's also deep insecurity. And James has strong words for those struggling with pride. Back in James 4, he said, Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Confession demands humility. That is the price of admission. You cannot do confession without humility, right? And a proud person is never going to be able to admit that they're wrong, never be able to admit the weaknesses and failures and struggles in their lives. Confession demands self-awareness, right? You've got to actually be able to face the realities, the struggles, the weaknesses in your own life. Confession requires receptivity to others, actually willing to hear what others have to say, actually receive their feedback and not just immediately attack anyone who goes after you, immediately go on the offension. If you're drawing a blank here on confession this morning, you're like, really, really can't think of anything to confess my sins. I just humbly submit, just, just talk to somebody who knows you well and loves you well and just humbly ask, what, what, are, what sins are you seeing in my life? What are some of the struggles? Because, you know, it's this amazing thing about community, right? It's, it's our own weaknesses that we sometimes struggle to, but we're so easy. We look around like, oh, that person, man, they have like, they so struggle with their money or they struggle with their appearance or they struggle with their relationships. Or, and like, it's amazing how successful we are at evaluating the flaws and weaknesses of others. And then when it comes to ourselves, we're just like, I'm like, I'm a great person. You know, I just, I'm such a wonderful person. And so that's kind of the pride side of the challenge. On the other hand, shame and inadequacy also short circuits the confession process, right? When we're stuck in cycles of sin or just feeling like, man, just so beat down by sin, we're just like, what's the purpose of confessing it? I've already done that. I've already been there. Aren't I just abusing grace? You know, I'm not only failing myself, but I'm letting God down. And you just go into this spiral of shame, and then it's like there's there's no getting out of it. You're just like, why should I even bother anymore? And it's so easy to fall into that. And not only is it incredibly depressing and discouraging to our own hearts, not only does it feel dishonoring to God, it's embarrassing to tell other people that you continue to struggle and continue to fail. Right? Talk about humility to have to admit and acknowledge our own weakness. But just like a doctor wouldn't judge a patient, a patient for returning for another dose of medicine if he's still sick, James wants his readers to know that if you're stuck in sin, you can go to God for forgiveness, right? On the cross, he dealt with all of your sins, past, present, and future. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. He's not appalled by the sin still resident in your own heart. You can continue to come to him for the grace that you need to continue to grow in your Christian life. Uh, so what is it that keeps you from confession? What is it that keeps you being honest with God, first and foremost, honest with yourself, and then even more scarily, honest with other people, right, that you love and trust that are in community with here? Just a, I have a quick list for you here, maybe. Uh, if any haven't rung a bell yet in your heart, 
Um, I don't need any help, right? That's a, that's a major roadblock to confession. I don't have any problems. It's the other person, you know, of course. <laughs> it's not me, it's them. I don't want to lose face. I don't want to appear weak. I don't want to be a burden to people. I don't want people to think less of me. Or this one, like, I don't want to do the hard work of change, right? If I'm honest and acknowledge the sins, then I, that means I actually have to deal with them. And that would seem a little bit overwhelming or daunting or difficult. Um, what I want you to see here as we look at this list, because I don't want you to stay here because that would be really discouraging, um, is that the gospel provides not only the motivation to be honest because of the forgiveness in Christ, we can be gut honest, we can be as real as we need to be, but also the gospel provides the freedom and power to actually move towards real change. Um, and so we've looked at the context here, the forgiveness that we already have in Christ. We've looked at some of the challenges Finally, I want to look at the cure. And right, if, if your confession is not leading you to the cure, right, you're doing it wrong. So I just, want, I just want to lead with that thought right there as we're looking at the cure. Notice the logic of James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, right? So there, there, there's a goal here. The movement in confession is towards healing, right? It's not just so that you can grovel and so that you can feel bad about yourself and, you know, you know, embrace all of those wonderful negative emotions that are swirling around inside of you. The movement here in confession is a movement towards healing. The gospel gives us not only the motivation to be honest, but also the prescription for our healing. Confessing our sins or simply being honest is what allows us to actually experience the comprehensive healing God has for us. If you go to the doctor and get a diagnosis, you can then go on to the treatment. But as long as you're in denial about the diagnosis, there's not really much hope for a cure. The doctor says, well, you have cancer. (laughs) You're like, that's terrible. But then as long as you acknowledge you have cancer, you can go on and get the radiation or you can get the chemotherapy or you can get whatever. You say, no, I don't have cancer. Doctor, I feel great. I feel like a million bucks. I'm just going to keep doing my life, right? You're going to die, right? That's just the reality in the medical world, but we don't often think that way in the spiritual world. Confession allows us to acknowledge what's wrong and then turn to God for the solution. Confession is the prerequisite, as it were, for God's work in our lives. The first step to freedom, the the first step in healing, change, growth, transformation, all of those things. Uh, I love how Tim Keller says it. Uh, Once again, when we confess our sins, we're not groveling in guilt. We're dealing with our guilt. If we deny our sins, we will never be free of them. When we confess our sins, we're not groveling in guilt, but we're dealing with our guilt. If we deny our sins, we will never get free of them. And specifically, uh, confessing our sins is to one another here, right? In this text, right? Take, and this takes it a step further. It's inviting other people into the healing process, right? There's a certain anonymity about confessing our sins to God, isn't there? They're like, yeah, God, I sinned, you know, <laughs> really bad. Uh, glad nobody else knows, right? You know, and you can just kind of move on with your life without necessarily getting any accountability, not necessarily getting any help. And, you know, obviously there's, there's a beautiful thing about confessing our sins to God, receiving his mercy and grace. That's powerful, deeply transforming work. I don't at all want to, you know, I don't want to like downplay that in any way whatsoever. Uh, But there's something more about actually then confessing your sins to one another. It invites other people into our mess. It provides the accountability, the encouragement, 
the challenge that we need and ultimately the help, right, that we need to change. Sometimes we don't have what it takes to actually change and we need to invite other wise, skilled people in to actually help us. And so it's a beautiful opportunity here. When we're confessing our sins to one another, we're opening ourselves up, not simply to God's work in our lives, but to a community where God is working. And that is a beautiful, powerful thing to be a part of. Change in the New Testament is a community process, and that is why we're a community project, and that's why we have all the one another's, right? We need each other in this process. If your confession is not leading you to the cure, right, you're doing it wrong. If it's not leading to the help that you need, you're doing it wrong. You need to welcome in other wise and skilled people to help you move towards the cure that God has for you. Confession, as Keller said, is not about groveling or feeling bad for your sin. It's about a cure, Uh, So how should this honesty uh, shape our culture here at Redemption City Church? If what I've just said is true, that because of the forgiveness of Christ, we can be honest, and that honesty can move us towards uh, the cure, actually dealing with the issues in our lives and dealing with it uh, together. How should that shape our actual community here at Redemption City Church here? First, there should be a refreshing amount of honesty in our church because of the gospel, right? Religious institutions are notorious for fostering a culture where people fake it till they make it. The gospel should free us to be radically honest. And I think just the culture we live in in West Michigan, man, it is notorious for fostering this fake it till you make it mentality. I don't know how many people I've talked to that are just like, man, I grew up in the church and like nobody was dealing with any of their issues and we're all, you know, an accountability group talking about all the terrible things we're doing. Nobody's actually changing or growing. And like in that kind of community, right, where there isn't real deep change and growth, right, people just walk away from the faith and go, that didn't work. And that is such, uh, from my experience in 10 years of pastoring in West Michigan, uh, so much of what church looks like. People going through the motions, people just trying to fake it till they make it. And we have a wonderful opportunity to change that. As an emerging generation, to be honest, to be raw, to be real. And I'm okay if it gets a little messy, (laughs) if it gets a little salty in here, if things get a little bit crazy. We're dealing with very real issues, right? Nothing is worse than being in this kind of sanitary, cleaned up condition where everyone's just pretending and faking. We have an opportunity to do better for our generation. And I want to invite all of you into that. And as a pastor, I want to commit myself to trying to be uh, the chief repenter. If if Paul could say he was the chief of sinners, then that as a pastor, you know, part of my goal, I've told the elders, is try to be the chief repenter, to try to keep it honest and keep it real with you guys in terms of my struggles and my weaknesses. So we recognize it's okay to get help in our lives. And so first step, let's, let's be honest together as a church. Second, um, since you can't have gut-level honesty with everyone in the church, <laughs> you need to find a group of trustworthy people who you can be honest with about your sin, your struggles, uh, people who will remind you of the gospel and point you to the change and growth and help that we all need. And we're trying to foster that kind of community here at Redemption City Church in, in different ways. Um, we need to do better at fostering that community in different ways. If you're in discipleship group, I know Ken's got a group of guys on Monday night that are hanging out together. They're going into each other's life. They're doing it. And I know a group of elders on Monday night, man, we're, we're getting into each other's life. We're doing that important work. Uh, we're hoping in our communities, as you get to know people, build relationships, um, you're able to have some people in there that you trust, that you can actually walk through difficult and challenging 
things together. Maybe it's one of the women's Bible study where you're just deep in God's word together and, you know, you finish that Bible study, you're like, man, I could talk to these people because I know they're going to be able to help me walk through those things together. Maybe it's just grabbing coffee with somebody and you're like, man, I just need some help. I just need to talk to somebody. Uh, and that is, that's, that's a beautiful, refreshing, freeing, wonderful thing. If you need help, come talk to us. We would love to walk you through that. And then finally, practice a countercultural lifestyle of repentance. What, what do I mean by that? I really genuinely think as Christians, you know, we would love to impress people with how godly and how wonderful we are and all the awesome things that we can do in the world to change the world for Jesus. And I'm not short selling that, but I think there's an incredible opportunity for Christians to just be honest in a culture of show, a culture of salesmanship, a culture of consumerism and spin, like just being honest with people in your life is a genuinely powerful thing. Don't short sell that. Don't undersell that. When, I remember when I was a seminary student, uh, I went to a church um, at the time and um, I'm in a small group with like the worship leader and this dude just starts confessing sin. He's like pride, selfishness. And I'm just like, I don't know if this guy should be leading worship at this church. And then the second thought that went through my mind was like, man, I wish I could be that honest. Like, I wish I had enough of the gospel security to really deal with the things in my heart. There's this incredibly liberating reality to what the gospel was doing in the life of this man who was getting help, who was growing, who was maturing. And man, that has like marked onto me. I'm like, man, I wish I could be that honest. I wish I could be that real. Uh, years ago, uh, Donald Miller shared a story from his college days at Reed College in Portland, which is one of those uh, really progressive schools, right, really edgy. And this young, small group of Christians that were at this college, like, how are we going to reach these people? And so they're having one of their big festivals, you know, kind of like a Mardi Gras, everyone's drinking, smoking, partying, sleeping around. You know, it's a co college campus back in the 90s. <laughs> Things were pretty dark. And so, you know, they're like, what are we going to do? And they're like, oh, I have an idea. We're going to set up a confession booth on the campus. And they're like, oh, dude, we're going to get killed. Like, this is not going to, people are, this is not going to go well. And then, and then one of the guys was like, no, here's the thing. Here's the flip. We're going to confess our sins to the people that are coming to the booth uh, rather than have them. And obviously they're all partying and you know, debauchery. And so they're all going to come and heckle them and stuff. But they, so they set up this giant confessional booth in the middle of the campus during Festivus or whatever the, the party was that they were going on. And, you know, I mean, they're like, we're just going to hang out here. And, get, and they sat there, you know, from like 12 to like 3 a.m. or something with a bunch of drunken high college students. And we're like, hey, we're sorry as Christians. We've been kind of judgmental. We've been selfish. We haven't cared about what Jesus cares. We haven't cared about the poor in our community, the least of these. Like, and just being like just genuine. And he's like, it's amazing. He said the how that dropped the guard on everyone in the campus. It was just super suspicious of Christians. They're super judgmental, super hypocritical, super... You know, and he's like, man, just broke down walls. And people were all of a sudden like, oh, I could talk to these people. They're real. They're genuine. They're, they're people like me. And I, I just think of that today as maybe not what you would normally think of as a great evangelistic approach, <laughs> just to be honest with people like, and talk about the grace of God in your life. I just think it can be a powerful thing. I've seen it at work in my own life. And it's very counterintuitive because I would just like to impress everybody with how brilliant I am and smart and articulate. And, and some of the best conversations I've had with lost people, I've been just sharing my own struggles and my own weaknesses. And people would go, oh, there's, there, you, can, you can be that honest? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, so my hope and my prayer for our church is that 
we could be that honest, that we could be real about our struggles, our weaknesses, so people could see not perfect Christians, but a perfect Savior. That is the ultimate end of this project. We're confessing our sins not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of Jesus. And he is the perfect Savior for sinners in process, right in the midst of the messiness of our lives. And I just want to invite you all, uh, give you the freedom, the permission to be honest in your lives and receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers and find in him a perfect Savior who meets us right in the midst of our weaknesses and struggles. And so let me pray uh, that God might do that here uh, for us. So Father, just thankful to be a part of a church uh, where that has been a reality for my own life, where as a pastor, I don't have to just fake it till I make it, but there are men in my, li- men in my life that can call me out, that can, uh, can keep me in line when I need it, who can correct me, who can challenge me, who can just help me get the help that I need uh, to grow as a Christian. And I pray that for every single person in this room. I know that's a tall order, and I know that's a tall ask just to be able to have that level of help and support, God. But we need that. We need to be able to have, be honest and get the help that we need. And so I do pray that for each person here, uh, that those relationships would continue to form, that trust would be built, and that many here would get the help that we need. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.